The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. Lord, we, we just take a moment, like I said, to, to be reminded. We need to be reminded. We need our minds to be renewed and to remember that, Jesus, you do change everything. For those of us who you've saved and redeemed, we don't have to approach any circumstance in our life, the worst of them, the ones that seem the furthest from having any hope. We don't have to approach any of them, any of them hopeless. God, you, you, you dragged us out of pits of despair in our sin and put a new song in our mouth, a song that can praise you, a voice that can praise you. And God, that's your doing. So tonight, even as we talk about some, some things that may be pretty heavy for some, God, just give, give grace. Help us to see you, Jesus, and why we can approach even this topic of sexuality differently. You, you speak to it in your word, God. You don't just leave us where we're at to figure it out on our own. You are a good God. You are a way maker. So, God, do that tonight. Make a way for us to trust you more and for some of us even to trust you for the first time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm probably, even though I might not look it, uh, a little older than most of you, so I don't know if any, who's seen Free Willy? Oh, maybe more than you thought. Does everyone know what the movie is at least? So Big Killer Whale, I think there's three different of them, three different ones of them. They capture him, ends up being in captivity for a while. Um, so very much, even just how our culture treats sexuality this day, it's almost like, uh, you ever been to SeaWorld or anyone ever been to... Uh, what do you even call it, an aquatic setup inside a zoo where they have all, or any, any zoo animal, a bunch of wild animals that aren't meant to really be where they are in captivity. Who knows why they're there? Sorry if you're a big PETA advocate. We're not going to get into that tonight. But, uh, so an orca, this big, huge, massive killer whale that weighs tons, right? It's meant to, God created it. It's meant to be in the ocean, to swim in these huge swaths of water, to eat big, big, big fish, and to survive out there. That's just the environment it's meant to be put in. Our culture very much today, when we talk about sexuality, is almost like if you take an orca, a killer whale, and when you put it into a, a zoo, what happens? Uh, with an orca specifically, that big, huge fin on its back, its dorsal fin, over time ends up bending over, and the, the animal actually ends up acting really peculiar. It, sometimes animals will attack people, right? You guys have probably seen stories of people petting lions or having pet big cats that end up biting them and killing them over time because they're not meant to be in that type of environment. Uh, so very much when our culture talks about sexuality today, we're, we're very much in, the, in this time where uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this wasn't even really a discussion. If you, if you talk to your great-great-grandfather or grandmother, you ask them, are you straight? Are you, are you heterosexual? They probably would have looked at you like, you had an orca head, like you looked like a killer whale. It just wouldn't have been a thing. We, so we, we live at a time where um, all the discussions surrounding this outside of the church, we're just we're talking about a lot of different things. Terms are super confusing. So tonight, what I want to help us do is to get grounded and to put us in the environment that God created us and meant us to be in. Okay, And I want us to swim around in there a lot. There's a lot of things on social media, just things we'll hear that disorient us and even make us act differently than God created us to be, even though we might not even realize it over time. We just kind of, kind of settled into it and might come numb with it. So 
you could call this talk tonight in a way that you could title it, Who Do You Think You Are? And now, I, I don't mean that in a, who do you think you are, Aiden? Like, in your face. Uh, like, really, who, like, who do you think you are? What, what defines who you are? How do you know who you are? Is it, uh, is it your experiences at the, at the core of who you are? How do you define yourself? Is it the environment you're in? Like that killer whale, it, when it's in the in SeaWorld or whatever it is, is it a different animal than it was before? Is it your desires that make you who you are, your upbringing, your feelings? When it comes to your sexuality, which we're going to focus on tonight, what makes you who you are? How do you define what your sexuality is? What, what even is sexuality? How do we even talk about it? Or do you define yourself by the God who made you and by who he said you are in his word? So let me lay some groundwork first. This is just going to be helpful for what we're going to talk about later. Uh, first thing, everybody is sexually broken. Everybody. So Jesus in Matthew 5, 27, Sermon on the Mount, many of you are probably familiar with it. He talks about anyone who has looked with lustful intent on someone has already committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus is making the point there, it's not actual, the, the action of adultery that makes us sexually broken. It's even having the desires within us of looking at someone else who we want that isn't ours to have. So we're all sexually broken. That's important to remember as we go through this. It's not anyone in this room is sexually broken and someone isn't. We are all sexually broken in some way. Secondly, sin curves us in on ourselves. So what sin does, this is how Augustine used to talk about sin way back in the day. It makes us, I think he even referred to it as navel gazers. So we, we become so enveloped with ourselves that all we can see is us. We, we don't look up to God and our creator. So one, one theologian said it this way, commenting on our day and what sexuality has turned into. He says, sexual identity has become such a problem for us in large measure, measure because it has become disconnected from its greater ends. Through becoming a problem, it has become a preoccupation, a preoccupation that really intensifies the problem that gave rise to it in a vicious feedback loop, an expression of humanity curved in on itself. What is needed is deepening of our apprehension of reality beyond ourselves, the reality whose gravity, atmosphere, and resources sustain us and give us meaning in our lives' weight. Healthy sexuality will only be known when we practically discover what it's about. So it's very easy just with how social media and everything works right now, and sin in general, how it works in us. We're, right? We sin even as Christians. We sin, it makes us look inward at ourselves. And sometimes we just get stuck looking at the problem, right? And then it's just a, this endless feedback loop. We look at the problem more, and then we sin again, and then we look back at the problem. What we really need to do to set ourselves right and back in God's bounds to look back up at him and his word and what he says, the bounds he's given us to live inside. Next point, so Jesus came that we would have life and have it abundantly. So especially as Christians, this is a familiar verse, right? We need to be reminded of this. Jesus didn't just save you if he saved you just so that you didn't have to sit anymore and be unhappy the rest of your life. He came that you would have life and flourish and have it abundantly. Not just fight your sin your whole life and grit your teeth until you get to heaven. That's important to remember to frame what we're going to talk about tonight. On the other side of things, contrasting that, the thief, Satan, comes to kill and steal and destroy to deceive us. So there are things in this world that Satan and our own sin are doing to try to deceive us into not living that abundant life. And we'll talk about what that means in terms of our sexuality tonight. And then this could really be the thesis statement over 
the, the whole talk tonight. True freedom isn't found in doing what we feel is right and best, even if it feels so right. It's found in submitting to God's word and his ways. So, so true freedom isn't found in doing what we feel is best and right, even if it feels super right. It's found in submitting to God's words and his ways. So a, a great illustration for this, I don't think any of you are dads or, oh, actually, yeah, we got John back there, sweet. So he'll know what I'm talking about a little more. So if, if you were a dad or a mom and you had little kids who could run around, right, and say you live by this busy street, it would be very unloving of you to just let your kids run in the street and never to tell them to stop that it's dangerous for them to do, right? A good father, a good mother, loving thing to do would be to tell them what are the bounds that they should live inside where they can actually flourish. Not to hold them back from anything good that they might experience, but to protect them from what's dangerous. In the same way, that's what God has done for us in his word in many ways. So we shouldn't look at his word just as these rules we should follow, right? He's given us bounds just like a good father would, a good father like he is, to live inside of so that we would flourish and actually experience true joy rather than stepping out into the road and who knows what happens, right? Death, maybe apart from God even for all eternity. So it's important to remember even in that that our hearts mislead us, right? So Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So as I was reading about this, to listen to this quote this one guy says. He says, we can even deceive ourselves about whether we are self-deceived. Right? So you could even, am I deceived? Oh, no, I'm deceived. No, I'm not deceived. No, I am deceived. Right? We, we, can't even, we can't trust our own hearts very often. We need God's word, God's people, God's truth to permeate our whole being so that we can live faithfully to him and flourish. John Piper, quote from him, uh, true freedom is doing what you want to do and not regretting it in a thousand years, right? So if, you, if we have some bigger perspective, not just the next five minutes, what's going to make me feel good, what's going to make me feel awesome, what, am I just going to follow what I feel I should do, what's right, what's right, what's right, what is, go, what is going, what, what can you do, and how can you live in a way that you're not going to regret it a thousand years from now, right? Either with God in heaven or apart from God eternally in hell. The two options. True freedom is doing what you want to do and not regretting it in a thousand years. So, plan for the rest of the talk here. I'm going to end up skipping some of this, but we can get to it in the Q&A. Uh, this is very much the beginning of a conversation. There's no way in the next 20 or so minutes I can cover everything about sexuality in the Bible says it. So I'm not going to get that much into male and female roles. Um, there are two awesome resources, which I think Daniel will point out later. Uh, the elders just approved in February, I think it was, affirmations and denials on biblical manhood and womanhood. So you can see that linked on the website. I think Daniel's going to put it on the link tree if you're familiar with that work and help point you that way. So that's a super awesome resource. And then uh, who's been to a Counseling One Another seminar so far? I think maybe was there only one last year, at least a couple people. So, so Pastor Brian's doing one this fall, Saturday, November 13th, which you can sign up for now on ministering to those who struggle with sexual brokenness, which would be all of us in some way. So I encourage you to take, uh, take advantage of that and to be having conversations around these topics. This is just, this is just one conversation of many. So this isn't going to be an be-all, end-all, end-all, be-all by any means, whatever that's the story is. So the rest of our talk, we're going we're to talk about what God has to, set, has to say about sexuality. So God's design for men and women in sex. And we'll talk about what the world's saying right now. So I, I want to address some of the lies, the deceitful see, uh, schemes, human cunning, 
that the world is attempting to drag us into, to put us, if you would, with the illustration earlier, into the sea world area where we're not meant to live. So I want to address some of those, and then I'm going to talk about, with some, a bunch of this might get hashed out in the Q&A, how we can be faithful to the Lord in our sexuality. So, we'll start with talking about what God has said about sexuality. So God's design for men and women in sex. So, two main points here. Again, much more could be said than this, but we're just going to focus on these two main points of this section. God's design. So, God makes us male or female. That's point one. And then sex is designed by God for one man and one woman in the marriage covenant. So, God makes us male and female. Genesis 1.27, again, probably a very familiar verse. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So being male and female, is, it's based in creation. It's based in nature, right? So when uh, my son born five months ago, uh, we already knew he was a boy. But when a, when a baby's born in the hospital, it's one of the first things that you hear people say. It's a boy, especially if someone doesn't know what the gender is. It's a boy. It's a girl, right? It's, gender is rooted in creation and how God has created us. Even if you, if you read through uh, the first chapter of Genesis, the creation narrative, you'll probably, you'll notice a complementary pattern, right? So there's the heavens and the earth. There's darkness and light. There's water and land. Uh, so different things God creates, they complement one another. They're different, but they work together in some way. So just like light isn't light without darkness being there. You could call it light, but you wouldn't know it in all of its fullness as you do when you have darkness to contrast with, right? In the same way, God created men and women in that way. It's almost like the difference um, maybe between like sweet and savory. What, what's, shout, someone can shout out, uh, what's your favorite candy? No one likes candy? Reese's, yeah. What's everyone's, uh, so most of you are probably native Minnesotans, right? What's your, what's, uh, your favorite Minnesotan hot dish, which I still don't think I've had one in two years. Three bean. Three bean tater tot hot dish. What was it? Three bean? Three bean tater tot hot dish. All right, so, so if we got sweet and savory. So if you took... I don't know, maybe this would be good, but I, I'm guessing maybe half of you would puke if you did this. <laughs> but if you took Reese's and you mixed it in with three bean tater tot uh, hot dish, those things, aren't, they're, they're just, they don't mix. That's just, they're two different things, sweet and savory. But if we didn't have the savory, we couldn't appreciate the sweet for being sweet and what sweet means, right? If we didn't have the sweet, we couldn't appreciate the savory being savory like it is. So two different things, both good, at least... Some people think they're both good, right? Uh, but but they're, so they're both good, but they're different in how they how they function, how they help us to view the world. Male and female are the same thing. God did that in a very similar way. I want to I want to speak a word here for um, anyone who has gender struggles, or for those of you who might be ministering to someone who struggles with gender issues right now. So God in his word, we, and we just need to be reminded of this. Again, again, why Jesus changes everything. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. So I just want you to let that sink in for a second. God did not make a mistake when he made you. You may, you may feel like you're a fish out of water, or you may, be, you may be walking with someone who feels like they're a fish out of water, but find comfort in knowing that God made you, and he made you in a certain way, and you can find rest in him. It's possible for you. He made you in a certain way so you can worship him and flourish in how he made you. 
We'll get into some of this more later. But you don't have to be a slave to your feelings. Your feel in Christ, your feelings are not king. Christ is king. And so I just want to again, I just want to remind you, God didn't make a mistake when He made you. That's for all of us. He doesn't make mistakes. He's the creator of the universe. We're saying about that so much tonight. Just one 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 spot where the Bible says this: Psalm one thirty nine, thirteen to fourteen. Such awesome verses. This is David taught praying. He says, "For you formed my inward parts." You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So if, I don't know if Tobias is sleeping back there right now. So my son, he's a little tiny guy. He's like 12 pounds, 5 months old, right? This, so he was born 4 pounds, 13 ounces. Man, so he's born little heart, brain, veins, little toes and fingers, right? God doesn't make mistakes. I know for many of you, I know some of you have little siblings, so it's probably super helpful. You're reminded of, uh, man, if you could just, if you get around someone who has a baby and just be reminded you were that big at some point uh, and how helpless you were and just the, the amazing miracle that birth is, God doesn't make mistakes in knitting from, from nothing, right? From him giving life in the miracle that that is to a human being. You all were, were babies at some point. God didn't make mistakes when he made you. He doesn't make mistakes. Only in Jesus can we become a new creation, set free from being captive to our feelings, and to joyfully fight our sin and our brokenness and find rest for our soul, something that would be good for all of us. So then the second point here, so God creates, makes us male or female. Second point, sex is meant for one man and one woman in the marriage covenant. So God's design for sex is for a man to be oriented sexually towards his wife, and for a woman to be oriented sexually toward her husband with the blessing of fruitfulness. So Song of Solomon says this in the context of marriage. says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. So I think sometimes it's with how the world uses terms. Again, I'm not going to be able to define everything tonight. But uh, in terms of orientation, right, um, it's just so easy in our culture. We have like a culture that dates a long time, right? Long engagements, everything. It's so easy to awaken love before it's supposed to be awakened, according to God's design. Um, and even when the Bible talks about sexuality, it's really only with a man in the context of, to express it in the context of marriage with his wife, and a wife to express it in the context of marriage with her husband. So very often, I think we can get we can get mistaken and think. Uh, we can, I think Joe Rigney might talk about this in his book. Uh, we can. There's a difference between being someone being attractive to you and being attracted to someone, right? And I think very often we we might uh, awaken love too soon and become attracted to someone and be actually giving ourselves over in ways that we might not realize, uh, which is too early for that to happen. If you have questions about it, we can talk a little bit more about that later. I don't know if I'm fleshing out exactly. Um, it's just, it's so easy to awaken love before it's supposed to be awakened in certain ways. Um, for those of you who are single, one way you could be super cautious of this, or I guess when you're dating, uh, just be cautious of how your body's reacting. So for those of us who have broken sexual pasts, um, you might even, you might be at a point where you had a broken sexual past, you came to faith in the Lord, now, 
now you're in a new relationship, but this might be good even down the road. You're getting into a relationship. Your body might respond in certain ways that should be a, a signpost to you that something there more is happening than what should be happening at that, at that moment. Um, you just want to just be cautious of that, of what the Lord's doing there. Um, so what, is this, what does this mean? God's design for, for sex to be oriented between a wife and a husband. This means that sex outside of marriage, whether it's pornography, it could be pornography, lust, passionately wanting something that isn't yours, all of these things are outside of God's design and won't lead to flourishing and satisfaction. Sin holds out a promise that it can't deliver. So, so for those of you who are single, so any anyone can watch porn, right? It's not just if you're single, not just if you're married, young, old. Uh, but those of you who are single and not just the guys, I want to make sure I'm speaking to everyone in the room here. Just statistically, it's, it's not that far off between guys and girls who watch porn. Uh, just If you keep watching it, it will, it will ruin you. It will tear you down. These are just some of the things that porn, uh, porn does. It normalizes, reinforces, and glorifies sexual violence, one-sided pleasure, objectification, child sexual abuse, incest, sexism, racism, a lack of consent, unequal power dynamics, the idea that no means yes, dehumanization. So I just want to plead with you there. Um, man, if you're a believer and you trust in Christ, you, you, you have so much better things you can say yes for in Jesus. So much better things that you don't, you don't need to unnecessarily keep suffering. You can turn to him. He will satisfy you as you need to. And then for those of you who don't trust in Jesus, man, that... That, that shame that you might feel right now, even just thinking and talking about, again, whether guy or girl, it's pretty much the same across the board. Uh, that's probably a healthy shame that you're feeling. Even if you're a believer, right, and you, and you currently watch porn, that shame you're feeling, that, if you're a believer, that's the Lord probably convicting you to turn back to him. So I just urge you, even in this moment, turn and, and trust in him. Turn and trust in him and say yes to Jesus in that, in that part of your life. For everyone, um, any sex outside of marriage, whether it's whether it's adultery, consensual sex, all of these things may bring a temporary feeling of satisfaction, but they'll only lead to pain and brokenness. So again, th this is a text from Jeremiah 6.16. It says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk. So God's laid out, we already talked about from Genesis, from the beginning of creation, he's laid out male and female and what that means in the context of sexuality and marriage. And the Lord just pleading with you to walk in it, walk in it with him. God's told us how we can find rest for our souls in Christ in this. Don't settle for less. This is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Many of you probably heard this too. He says, it would seem that our Lord Jesus finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by, meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So that, that's a really helpful framework, whether you struggle with porn, whether you struggle with consensual sex outside of marriage, any sexual sin, where do you struggle with lust? Where it's not that your desires are too strong, 
and you, you just can't help but fulfill them, it's that your desires for God are actually too weak. Way too weak for what they should be, for what he's done for us, and for what he deserves, for the satisfaction we can get in him. We settle for so much less. We settle for mud pies instead of the holiday at the sea, right? Don't settle for less in all of those spots. You're missing out on Jesus and what he has for you. So in summary of those two points, so God's design is grounded in creation. It's grounded in nature, not in our feelings or desires, right? So God's design is grounded in, in creation, how he made us, male or female. And here's what, what leads us astray. So we're going to start getting into how the world leads us astray, how sin leads us astray. So this point here isn't anything new. This has been since the beginning of time. Um, we, in our own sin, believers and unbelievers, we suppress the truth. So we all, in some ways, in some area of your life, whether it's sexuality or something else, we all will tell ourselves lies and convince us that something's good for us, even though it isn't because we want to do it because we're sinful. And we, we settle for so much less. Romans 1 gets into this a ton. Here's a, a quote from a, a theologian here, too. He says, he calls it the stubborn insistence of natural reality referring to Romans 1, which I'll, I'll read some of it in a second. It says, Often, nature in creation is our most powerful apologetic. If nature itself were not a powerful and effective challenge to arguments against biblical sexuality, people would rather blow them off and not want to draw attention to them at all. So, Romans 1 talks about, if you're familiar with it, the wrath of God's revealed against everyone who suppresses the truth, against godliness, the ungodliness of men. And then it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So for those of you that are familiar with that passage, right, it's saying that all human beings, God, God has revealed himself in a sufficient way to all human beings that they should seek him. They should seek after him. They should even seek after Christ. Just because of creation. And I think very often we talk about it being the mountains, right? Getting out to Glacier National Park or Yellowstone or the Tetons. And we neglect that our bodies are creations of God, right? So the, these mountains, the, the, these beautiful things we look at outside, we forget that grounded, the, the thing that God said was very good in creation was human beings, was male and female. And even how in that, it's interesting how in Romans 1, suppressing the truth, the example Paul gives are men acting in shameless ways with men and women acting in shameless ways with women. Right? So we, re we reject even the notion that we were made by someone in the way we were made. I think in our day, that's one of the main ways that uh, we and our sin, the world and its sin, suppresses the truth. In the Bible, when God, when God condemns sexual immorality, he, the Bible doesn't even really ever give a category of sexual identity, only sexual actions. So when you're reading your Bible, just pay attention to this. He always condemns, it might be sodomy. He might call uh, certain actions uh, perversion and abomination. Uh, a list of sins that he includes everything from control, pride, anger, sexual immorality. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about, he's condemning actions. In the Bible, there's not even this category for sexual identity. It just is tied back, Jesus and Paul tied back, your, your gender is male and female, and the main part of who you are wasn't even really your orientation or how you expressed yourself sexually. So, 
Again, yeah, so we're talking about what the world says about sexuality. Here's just a couple examples. So this is the Oxford Dictionary. This is how it, it defines it. So a major, major, major dictionary. It says, sexuality is a person's identity in relation to their gender or genders to which they are typically attracted, comma, sexual orientation. So it, it defines sexuality as who you are attracted to. Your sexuality is defined by your desire. So, so your sexuality isn't defined by how you were made and who made you. It's defined by who you are attracted to, your desires and, and your feelings. That's how it defines it. Currently, so I looked the other day, Facebook has 12 different options for you to pick what gender you are. So not only is the world telling us that we can, uh, our sexuality is defined by our desires and who we're attracted to rather than how we're made, it tells us that we can be whatever we want to be, whenever we want to be, regardless of how we were made. The American Medical Association, this was just last week or the week before, they recommended that sex, your gender, be removed as a legal, a legal designation on your birth certificate. So, for, so my son, they would say that that wouldn't even be a category anymore. All babies moving forward, it'd just be a blank space for them to determine later in life. The gender God created someone as is completely ignored. So from the world standpoint, this is just helpful as, as we dive into this a little bit more. When the world talks about sexuality, what, it's, what it seems to be really talking about is sexual identity. So the Bible very much talks about sexuality and how we were made, made as male and female, and how it should be expressed, where it should be expressed in the, the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. When the world talks about it, and use sexuality. It's good to just be aware of this as you're reading stuff and talking about it. It's very much focusing on sexual identity, who I am sexually, and it's a central part of who you are. Uh, it's actually a political category. Again, like I said, it's only been around like the last hundred years or so. If you asked your great-great-grandfather some questions along these lines, they probably would have looked at you like you were you weren't even speaking their language. So the world frames sexuality as something that is to be discovered and explored and felt, not something that is inherent to how we're made. Another quote from a, a theologian here, he says, Sexual identity is an attempt to fill the void left by a damaged sense of one's natural sex. Our modern society has made sexuality an identity rather than actions and stigmatized the stigma that we find in the Bible and in societies for thousands of years. So very much so, right? If you if you have a biblical view of sexuality, you're you're automatically homophobic, transphobic, transphobic, whatever. Uh, which we'll have to, but as believers, we'll have to figure out how to be faithful in those circumstances moving forward. So, a few other things the world says here. So, love is love. These signs are all over my neighborhood. Love is love. Um, so this this probably isn't the best source to get it from, but I couldn't find. How do you define these things that are just out there, right? Uh, so Urban Dictionary, because um, <laughs> I couldn't find, that was the first one that popped up. But probably a pretty good uh, barometer of what this actually means in the world. So love is love is defined as a phrase meaning that the love expressed by an individual or couple is valid regardless of the sexual orientation or gender identity of their love or partner. So... The, the problem with that statement is that the kind of love people are talking about when they use that phrase is the love that God designed to be between a man and a woman in the marriage covenant. The kind of love, the kind of love that love is love is promoting is not 
in line with God's design. It, it's disordered. So, how, how do we respond to that? How does the Bible speak to that? How does God's word speak to that? Well, God is love, right? So he, he's the standard. And it, it's important to remember, we, God didn't need to create us or the world to be God. God. God's eternally existing. We're created out of an overflow of his love. He didn't have to make creation at all to share in his goodness. Even in God's relationship with himself in the Trinity, right? If, if God was just a single God like it is in uh, Islam, he can't be loving. He can't be. Any, anything he created would just be to worship him and himself. God in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, exists in perfect unity and harmony and plurality and love one another. And that love just overflows into creation and he made us. So we, that's where we have to start when we're talking about what love even means. We see that even back to the very beginning of the Bible. Another quote here, which is helpful, says, You can't understand a thing by isolating it from its interaction with other things, because an isolated thing isn't the thing. So, male sexuality is male sexuality in relation to woman in the marriage covenant. In the same way that female sexuality is female sexuality designed in God's way in relation to a man in the context of marriage. So if you don't have the marriage covenant, and you don't have a man and a woman in that covenant, you don't have God-defined love as it's taught in the scriptures. God lovingly, like we talked about earlier, gave us boundaries to live within, including sexuality. We won't flourish outside of those boundaries. We were meant to express the most intimate of loves with one member of the opposite sex in the covenant of marriage until death do us part. This is the unique context or love that the phrase love is love is attempting to hijack. So that phrase, just when you're when you're engaging with people, there, I mean we can talk about so many people just in our neighborhood walking around about that. Remember that God is love in himself and how he exists from, from all eternity. Another thing the world would tell us is that I want it, so I need to have it now. Right? So it, the idea of instant gratification. It's so easy. I mean, I can find myself following this, right? I'll even over the summer, so I don't have any classes right now, I'm in seminary, but I can get stressed out about homework that's due in like October, right? And then I, I find myself turning my phone, popping it open just to distract myself, be on Twitter, I don't know. Not that it's bad to be on Twitter, but I'm doing it to distract myself because uh, I'm anxious, right? It, or, uh, right, I could just, like last night, here's actually a really good example, I'm outing myself. Uh, last night, I, it was like 9.15 maybe, and I wanted ice cream. It's not really good to eat ice cream after 9.15, especially when you have a little baby and you need as much sleep as possible. So I went to the store, and it was a sale. Uh, I don't know if anyone had Johnny Pops. I think they're a Minnesota thing. But the, they were f uh, five boxes. If you bought five boxes, you got five, bo uh, five bucks off. So I bought 25 Johnny Pops. I don't need 25 Johnny Pops. And then I went home and ate one, and then I slept like absolute junk. I, I think I barely slept all night because uh, I'm 34. I'm not springy like all you young people in here. Um, but it's so easy, right? Whenever we want, Grubhub, we can have whatever we want pretty much either right then in the moment or within an hour. It's so easy to, and it's just, we have to be way more aware of having godly self-control in those moments. Um, we're probably lacking that hugely. And you're probably the, we're probably the age that's affected by it the most and those younger than us, right? We have, to be, we have to be super aware of that. Uh, 
So the, yeah, the idea of instant gratification. So again, on porn, it's gonna, I gotta beat this drum again. Porn or consensual sex, it won't satisfy you. What, will, it, will it feel good in the moment maybe and, and give you fleeting pleasure? Yes, but it, it's, it's, it will ruin you. It, God, God's word is clear. Again, like a good father, he gave us those bounds besides that we can flourish and have utmost joy. Don't settle for less. You don't need to have what you want when you want it. Right? There's a reason why so, uh, one of the f- part of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Right? That means there are things we need to control ourselves from. We need to have godly self-control to turn away from things. Uh, another, we might even think about these things. Oh, I deserve it. I, I worked hard today, right? I, I, I didn't even know what I did yesterday, but I probably convinced myself. I, I earned, I earned uh, ice cream at 9.30 night, which isn't bad again. It was just bad for me. It might not be bad for you. You might be able to sleep for 10 hours after that, but it was bad for me. But we, we don't deserve anything but wrath. Again, like I started this, right? We need to remember Jesus changes everything. And if, he's, if he saved you, that wrath, he bore that for you so that you don't have to live that way. We're going to sin. Yes, we're going to sin. But we're not enslaved to those feelings, those desires anymore. You don't have to say yes to that thing that you want in that moment that's just going to lead to pain and brokenness down the road. You can say yes to him and actually live with joy and faithfulness as your life goes on. True. So how, how do we counteract this? Even in terms of love and mating and marriage, true love waits. Again, Song of Solomon, it says it, I think, three or four different times. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases, right? So there's a time, a context that God's given us for love to be stirred up, for sexuality to be stirred up between a man and a woman, and that's in the covenant of marriage. Another Piper quote. It might not be the last one. It says, if you cannot embrace the pain of learning, but must have instant gratification, you forfeit the greatest rewards in life, right? So even just maybe in terms of books, if you're a reader or if you, if one of your goals every year is you want to read more, but I want to read 10 books. Uh, I know I'm guilty of it. How many of you read a chapter and then uh, the next book you read a chapter, uh, right? You just put it down or working out. How many of you set New Year's resolution to work out for a week or two, maybe longer than that. And then uh, you kind of fall off, right? And then you wait till next January, you start working out more again. Um, Man, there is, I mean, Pepper says it's pretty sorry, the pain of learning, right? We, we have to be self-controlled and godly way, a fruit of the Spirit, and not just give in to certain things that seem shiny and they're going to be nice in the moment. You'll, you'll miss out on life's greatest pleasures. And one of those things is including marriage, if the Lord has that for you. Or even that, if God has celibacy for you, you will go through your life and have more joy staying celibate than you will watching porn, having consensual sex, and reaching heaven and getting to worship the Lord for sustaining you and keeping you faithful to him all that time. Right? So you're not settling for something less. You're saying yes to something more. Don't settle for less. And then the last, last point I'll go through here, and then maybe we'll, maybe we'll just jump to Q&A. Um, and we can talk about Q&A, how to be faithful in these areas. So the whole idea of embrace who you are and you will find happiness. So, so your, your felt sexual orientation is the core of who you are. So again, just, just how, the Bible, how the Bible responds to this. God made us, so he is creator. We are the created. God made us male or, or female. God knows us better than we will ever know ourselves, so we should yield to what he says about us. Man, what a... What a 
point that we need to grasp for ourselves as part of the Christian life, right? God knows us better than we know ourselves. Man, if you're just on a if you're just on a sin hunt your whole life, trying to understand everything that's going in your heart, you'll go nuts. You'll go absolutely crazy trying to root out all your sin. You can't do it until you get to heaven. It's not you're not going to be completely free of sin. But God knows us. It's more important to be known by God than to try to have to figure out everything about yourself, including your own sexuality when God's already made you a certain way, right? We don't need to know ourselves. We won't, we won't even through our whole lives know ourselves completely. You can rest in the fact that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's way more important than having our feelings have to be desired. Being known by God is the most important thing that can, can happen for us. And this is important because our feelings and the devil lie to us. Right? So, so the world today tells us that, that gender can be fluid. Right? Whatever you want to be in that moment is what is true and it's who you are. Here's, here's one more uh, quote that I'll, I'll quote here. The theologian says, What began with two sexes in Genesis 1 has grown exponentially. In a few hundred years, and this, this is an important quote, in a few hundred years, we have changed identity from I think, therefore I am, to I feel, therefore I am, to I desire, therefore I am, to I demand you to see me for what I am today. We thought it to be, felt it to be, desired it to be, and now we demand it to be, regardless of what God says. And th this isn't just a thing with, with sexuality, right? Um, I just, I just want us all to be free, whether you struggle with lust and porn, whether you have gender struggles, whether you struggle with same-sex attraction, your, your whole identity is not tied up in your feelings if you're in Christ. Right? You're, you don't have to be a slave to those things anymore. You might have to battle with them your whole life, but your whole identity is not tied up in that. Right? That's like saying, if, you, if, you're, if you're a control freak, um, or if, if you know someone, or if you struggle, if, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, if you're always hot-headed and angry, if that always defines who you are, like if, if I was an alcoholic and I just always define myself as that my whole life, I'm not, I, that's not who God says I am. That's not going to be, I'm not going to experience the freedom. I don't have to live in captivity to those feelings. That's not how God, who God says I am. That's not who, how we define ourselves as Christians. Here's just... Uh, one quote here that we'll close with from a guy who is a pastor who struggled with same-sex attraction. Um, I just want you to hear what he says, and then we'll, we'll do some Q&A. He says, I am not willing to be scripted into a role for which I have been redeemed. I've moved on to be defined by my conscription into God's story rather than demanding that he recognize my lesser yarn. Now he's British, so he, he might use some adjectives here that we don't get lesser of how I think I'm, I'm made up. Then he says, Jesus was the exact representation of the Godhead. He never fell from glory, and we are therefore in him free to live as our created selves. When we find our identity in Christ, our secondary identities will point to the creator. Husband, father, elder, artist, speaker, etc., whatever we may be. We glorify God there. The depth of our identities, explored and expressed, is how that is primarily accomplished. It makes perfect sense that our enemy would confuse us about our identity and the orientation we might receive from going back to our bodies. To rediscover the nobility of the divine image gives terror to the devil. Before a certain period in my story, 
I cannot recall a time when I didn't feel like a girl trapped in a boy's body. No longer, though. It feels like a foreign concept, even if it took a long process for it to become so. I had to engage in long-term identity repentance, refusing over and over again, and in many ways, to believe the story that I wanted to tell myself about myself. I learned rather to listen and to let God tell me over and over and over again the story he wanted to tell me about myself. Conceivably, this is something all Christians are required to do in some way. Perhaps working out your own salvation with fear and trembling is precisely, is precisely to continually repent of one's self-scripted identity and to discover the liberation of the story God would write you. So let me pray, and then we can get in a Q&A. I, I had a lot more here, but uh, I think it will get flushed out in Q&A a little more. Lord, you, as we talked about today, through Christ, you do change everything. God, we thank you that we have spaces that we can have conversations like this. and uh, God, just put things out in the, in the open that we don't get to talk about in a lot of other spaces. All of these things stay in the, in the dark. They stay hidden. And Lord, that might even be a way that the, the devil is trying to keep us, even the, these young adults, in a, in a spot where your truth isn't shining through. So God, would your truth shine through even tonight as we talk through Q&As? Uh, and remember, you offer what is better, Jesus. We don't have to settle for less. So often our, our sin in the world tells us that our feelings, our desires, even who we want to be, is, is king. But you offer so much more. You offer forgiveness. You offer a new identity. You offer the ability to fight sin joyfully throughout our entire lives until we reach glory with you. But God, we need, we need grace to trust that. As, as Pastor John has even said, uh, doing the right thing never worked out, worked out wrong for anyone. Following God, we never regret following you, Lord. So help us. Help us to think in light of the next thousand years and what true freedom is now. You are a good father. We thank you for your word. And would you even be with us at, during this Q&A talk? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church slash young adults.